If you would, just remain standing and open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 2. Proverbs chapter 2. I'm going to read the whole chapter, and then I'm going to begin to survey that whole chapter, focusing on the first part. Um, so, beloved, hear the, hear the reading of God's Word. My son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding. For if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as hidden treasures, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice. And he preserves the way of his godly ones. Then you will discern righteousness and justice and equity in every good course. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will guard you. Understanding will watch over you to deliver you from the way of evil, from the man who speaks perverse things, from those who leave the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, and who delight in doing evil and rejoice in the perversity of evil, whose paths are crooked and, whose, and, and who are devious in their ways to deliver you from the strange woman, from the adulteress who flatters with her words, that leave the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death, her tracks lead to the dead. None who go to her return again, nor do they reach the paths of life. And so you will walk in the way of good men and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will live in the land and the blameless will remain in it. Uh, but the wicked will be cut off from the land and the treacherous will be uprooted from it. And thus ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. This evening I want to lay before you Proverbs 2 with the theme being the keys and blessings of a discerning life. The keys and blessings of of a discerning life. You'll see in the proverb that there are sections that we can divide up and treat as a, 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 a one portion of the truth that I am speaking to you tonight. That is, first of all, the keys. Versus, let me, let's break up the chapter as you're taking notes. And let me give you some of my headings for these verses, and then we can open it up and go as far as we can. I may not be able to cover all of the chapter. If I don't cover it tonight, I'm sure I'm going to be back on a Sunday evening soon enough, and we'll pick back up where I leave off. But let's look at the chapter itself. First of all, what I want you to do is when you're looking in the book of Proverbs and you're, you're studying it for yourself and you begin to take this proverb and you want to start looking at it and you've got your notepad out, what I want you to do is start looking at the punctuation of the sentences. Look for the colons, the commas, and the periods and then find the complete statements. For example, this proverb is broken up into seven parts. 
There are seven parts to this proverb. The first part is verse 1 through 5. Verse 1 through 5. The second part is one verse. There are three single verses that stand alone in the proverb and they're telling. It's interesting how the wisdom of the Lord in moving upon men to write, particularly Solomon, to write these proverbs. And then verse 6 stands alone. So you got one through five that forms a thought. Then you have verse six. Third part is verse seven through eight. Well, let me give you some of those headings. Verse one through five, we could say are the keys, the keys to this discerning life. I use the word key just to put a image in your mind of what it will take to unlock this discernment because it's conditional. It's not simply something that's easily accessible without tremendous effort. And we need to understand that, okay? Verse 6 is what unlocks ultimately this gift of wisdom and discernment, and that is God. It's a gift from God. He grants it. He gives it. That's verse 6. Verses 7 and 8 is a list of those blessings that, that God performs on the behalf of those who are diligently seeking those keys to discernment. Those who put the effort in, the work in, to unlock this discernment, to, to follow the commandments of God's word, this is a, a, a catalog of blessings that God does for them. And then we have another single verse as part four, verse nine. Verse nine tells us that at a certain time, we will be discerning. We will be able to understand righteousness, justice, equity, and what the Solomon says is every good course, every good course. We'll look at the grammar of these as we get into it. The fifth part is the longest part. It's verse 10 through 19. Verse 10 through 19 is that portion of the proverb that, that catalogs all of the various ways that discernment and wisdom and divine understanding keep you and me and God's people from evil. It's the way, it's how God, it's, it's the, the blessing, if you will, of when we begin to exercise our, our, our labors, our seeking after him and the blessing that God gives to us, they will then begin to preserve us against sin and against sinners. You got to keep that in mind. Sin and sinners. Not just wicked ways, we can certainly have our uh, discernment honed and, and sharpened to discern an evil way, but we must also be discerning enough to keep ourselves from evil people that can be crafty, they can be tricky, they can be deceitful. And so verses 10 through 19 catalog those for us. And then the sixth part, verse 20 and 21, is that the path 
that we're on, this path of discernment, this path of laboring and working by faith to understand, to be a wise uh, disciple of, of God in Christ, to put our hands to this glorious work is to say that it's a path that is well trodden. It's nothing new. All of God's righteous people have trodden on this path, and we're only on the path of those saints that have gone before us. There's not a new road here. We're not blazing new trails. We're not cutting new highways, but we are walking the path of old, what Jeremiah called the old paths. When they was calling, when God was using Jeremiah, the prophet, to call his people back to, you know, the true religion and morality. And then verse 22. Verse 22 is a single, that third single verse that basically sort of highlights the, the seriousness of what we're talking about. Again, the wicked will be cut off from the land and the treacherous will be uprooted from it. That's some strong language. And the image there for the Hebrew is without mistake. They, they, without mistake, they would understand that this, this idea of cutting off and being uprooted is destruction. To be cut off is to be severed from, is to be taken away from, and, and, and put out from these blessings of God. It's kind of like not just, um, it's kind of Cain. We, we, we see the picture of Cain in the Old Testament after he kills his brother and argues with, with the Lord over the killing of his brother, his failure to seek repentance in the Lord's face and forgiveness, and he hardens himself. And what does the Lord do? The Lord cuts him off. And he sends him out in the place called Nod. He sends him out of the land of the living, out into a place of wretched darkness and wilderness. And that's a, that picture is the same picture that happens today when God's people are, are well, when, when we find ourselves in a condition, in a state of rebellion and hard-heartedness toward God. We don't want to be instructed. We don't want to study the Word of God. We don't want to have it impressed upon us. We don't want to have it preached to us. We don't want to be told what to believe. We don't want to be told how to live. We don't want to be told what God enjoys. We don't want to be told any of these, these, this idea of religion you're cut off. And, and let me say the word cut off has to, has to do with excommunication. Now, let me say this about excommunication because that's a practice that most churches have forgotten how to exercise and ought to pick it back up soon and should. With the, 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 just the, the delinquency, the dereliction that's taking place in our own land. And that is... It's the same thing God told Jeremiah. He said, if the, my people won't cut off the immoral, I'll do it. 
I'll do it. If my men, if those that I've called to exercise religion on my behalf, to carry out my orders, to do my will among my people, if those men won't do this good work, I will come and I will sever them. And not only will I sever them, I'll sever all who participated with them. It's pretty dangerous, isn't it? That's a serious matter. I'm, listen to me, my brothers and sisters. God takes religion seriously, and we should too. To be uprooted is to just be no vitality left. To be, when you uproot a plant, it's dead. It, it, it's, if it wasn't dead, it's going to what? Die. Let me give you the picture because everything that I'm talking to you about is not just Old Testament theology. Okay? These are biblical truths found in the whole counsel of God's Word. Just take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 15. Jesus brings this very concept up when dealing with the stubbornness and the heresy of the Pharisees. And um, I'll just begin reading at verse 12. You can read the beginning of that. There's a confrontation with Jesus. We don't, we're not going to take the time to do that this evening. But beginning at verse 12, and then the disciples came and said to him, being Jesus, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this statement. But he answered and said, every plant which my, my heavenly father did not plant shall be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind guides of the blind. And if a blind man guides a blind man, both will fall into a pit. Notice Jesus uses this terminology straight out of the Old Testament. He's not saying anything new. The disciples would have easily picked up on what Jesus was saying. Every plant which my heavenly father did not plant shall be uprooted. What Jesus is saying is, I will judge them for this. I will pluck them up. I will pull away. I will pull them out of this ground. I will take away their influence and they will, in that sense, they will die. They won't have this influence that they so thirst for and hunger for. Okay. So those are the parts of the proverb of Proverbs 2. Now let's just begin working through the proverb and hopefully tying some of this together in the little time we have this evening. Now let's go back to the first part of the proverb and let's begin looking at what I call the keys, the keys to this discerning life. Now when we talk about discerning, I mean verse 9, again, um, uh, verse 5, and then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. Verse 9, and you will discern righteousness and justice and equity and every good course. The idea here is as the beginning of the Proverbs teach us is that, that the beginning of 
knowledge and wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Faith. Trusting in him. That's the fear of the Lord. That's the, the, the concept of the fear of the Lord contains within it the idea of trust and faith. Knowing that God is sovereign and supreme and yes, has every rightful, it is just to judge me for my sin. Fear that I turn to his son that he has provided for me that he has provided for all who would turn from their sins and turn to God. They must turn to God in Christ, repent of their sins, put their trust in Christ so that God's anger is now removed from us. That's the gospel. The good news rests upon the bad news. The bad news is all sinners are separated from God and are ripe for judgment. And God is just to bring that judgment. The good news is we don't have to bear that judgment ourselves. We can rest in Christ who did bear that wrath of God on that cross on the behalf of all who would believe and trust in him. Amen. That it pleased the Lord, Isaiah said, to pour out on his son the wrath and the fury that every sin deserves. And Jesus bore all of that. So when we talk about discernment, when we talk about wisdom, this practical application of life, this, this, this way of wisdom is, the, is the, the skillful use of morality and right, how to live before God, knowing what God's will is in, in a variety of circumstances that, well, that you face in life. How many times have, when we face something, we go, well, I just wonder what God's will is in this circumstance. And the study of the book of Proverbs helps us with that. That's its design. It's designed to aid us in gaining for ourselves the skill sets needed so that we can walk before God skillfully, wisely, and be able to render discernment Judging one thing with another so that we can avoid what is evil and that we can cling to what is good. And that's broken nationally. Okay? This is needed. And this is needed among God's people. Too many of those professing to be believers in God are scratching their head wondering, well, is abortion really wrong? I mean, is homosexuality really that big of a deal? And God's people are to be, are to be discerning people. And it starts at a young age. This is the father teaching the son, the mother teaching the son and daughters what? How to live skillfully in this life before God's face. That's the parent's job. And they would be de dedicated to that. They would be sold out, if you will, will to that practice and that labor and work. So when we talk about this discernment, that's what we're talking about. In fact, if you look there at verse 9, 
He says, you will discern righteousness. Okay. That think about every one of these terms deal with morality, a moral standard, righteousness, that which is right. Justice. We're talking about that, which is good, fair, just to be just equity, fairness. Again, these terms are all related and connected and have to deal with God's teaching, God's rule, God's law, thus morality. How we live before God is a moral question. How we live before God is a moral question. And there's, there's, it's not a neutral one. Yes, an unbeliever can exercise various moral principles, yet they are still not in fellowship with God, and they are still, even in light of those moral principles and the practice of those, those, those moral rules that they hold to, they are still in their hearts, at war with God, and he is still at war with them. That's why the Bible says even the plowing of the wicked is a sin. Even the plowing of the wicked without faith is sin. So we are addressing, beloved, what it means to live before God. It's a moral question. It's not a neutral one. It's one that we should take seriously. It's one we ought to take seriously because of verse 22, why the wicked are described as those that are not discerning, they are not wise, they are not knowledgeable, and they don't love the Lord, and they're cut off. They're cut off and uprooted. And we do not want to be cut off and uprooted, do we? Nor do we want our children to be cut off and uprooted. Not as, not as far as we can as parents help that. Certainly as they grow up and as they become more of age, they will be making these decisions for themselves. And at that point, you can continue to pray for them and encourage them, love them, speak the truth to them. But they too, at that point, will have to make a decision at some point that they were going to walk their old paths the same paths that their mom and daddy walked, the same paths that all of you know, the people they loved in their family have walked, that know the Lord, and all the other godly people they know that have walked. You got to make a decision, young person, are you going to walk that path? We older people have to make the decision to stay on that path, and we're going to remain on it. We're going to finish this course. We're not going to detour. We're not going to uh, move to the right or to the left. We're going to stay on this path. Okay, let's, let's look at that first part there, and hopefully let's make some application here. Notice in this first section, as I said, are those keys, if you will, of developing discernment. Notice um, the, the proverbial father, my son, Again, this is the instruction of a moral uh, relative father teaching his offspring how to be a good follower 
of the Lord and to be a good son and daughter. If you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you. The first thing I want you to notice in your notes, you can circle it, highlight it, underline it, however you want to underscore it, but it's the conditional if. If. If you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you. There's a condition here as it's related to this blessing of discernment and wisdom and knowledge and understanding. It's not, it's never to be taken for granted. Now this can also work for a older person that's a new Christian. Adults coming to faith late in life and, and learning, well, how do I live? What, what's the Lord's will for me? How, how do I function as a, a believer in all of my various circumstances? I mean, again, we would come here and he would take the position or she would take the position like a young person would. Teach me. This idea of receive is certainly understandable. It means to be teachable. So you have this, this, this condition of what? Well, being teachable. And that being teachable has an element to it that is often overlooked, and that's found in that second clause where it says, and treasure my commandments within you. How is it that we are a hard study, if you will, or how is it I'm like, look, I, I, you know, I'm reading my Bible, I'm just not getting anywhere. I'm studying, but I'm not getting anything out of it. I mean, I'm working hard. I just don't seem to be benefiting from it. Well, we need to ask ourselves two questions. Number one, am I really teachable? Do I really, am I really sitting here ready to hear the Lord's word? Am I sitting here ready to receive what God has for me? Number one. But number two, if you don't do this part, you're not ready to receive. And that is, what does it mean to treasure something? It means to highly value it. Now, I'm going to give you the perfect picture of this word. This is the same word that is used, the Holy Spirit uses in Exodus in Moses' mama, hiding little Moses for several months because she valued him. So this idea of the treasure of something is to hide it in you, to value it with such as such a prize. I mean, you, I mean, like a mother. Think about the mother. What is she doing? I mean, she didn't want Pharaoh to kill her son. So what did she, she risked her own life and said, no, I'm going to hide my boy. I'm going to hide my precious, beautiful boy, and I'm going to keep him safe as long as I can. That's the same effort and energy we must bring to our Bible study. 
there's a also a a um, a cause, if you will. Well, I mean, before I move too fast and too far, brothers and sisters, again, our Lord used this in teaching the parables on the kingdom. Do you remember what I taught you back in Matthew 13 when he said, let those who have an ear hear, let those who see understand? What was Jesus referencing? That there were many sitting under his teaching that really did not care. They weren't there to learn. They weren't there treasuring away, if you will, every word that fell from the lips of the Son of God. They weren't there for that. And thus, because they did not treasure his word, they couldn't understand the parables. They couldn't grasp the meaning of the parables because they were dull in heart, Jesus said. Beloved, one thing that you might find that might enliven or aid or better help you in studying the Word of God is just begin treasuring the Word in your heart. Prize it. Value it. I mean... I mean, this is, I mean, this is a book. It's got a cover, front and back cover. It's got a spine on it. It's pages. There's ink on these pages. So it's like every other book I have in my possession. But it's also not like every other book I have in my possession. I prize this one. I'm not, my house is on fire. I'm not running to box up all my books, but I'm grabbing my Bible if I can. After my wife and children. Just seeing if you're listening. But when we teach our children, when we talk among each other, what are the little things we do to highlight that this book is not like every other book? I, I don't know. You tell me. I know what we did in our home. How do we set apart this book is the Word of God? It contains in it those precious moral truths that God wants us to know and wants us to believe and wants us to do, to know Him. It's that simple. There's nothing hard about it. That's why the world constantly attacks the Bible. They hate God. They hate the Word of God. And we have to treasure it, brothers and sisters. We have to treasure it. It's the highly value, and I would even use the word, esteem the Word of God. Now, the word received does carry a particular, it does have a particular nuance to it. And that is, it's not just to, to, 
to, to bring it into you, but it's to bring it into you with the intention of practicing it. Again, it's another key, right, to understanding why am I not getting anything out of my Bible reading? Why am I not getting anything out of the sermons? Well, you know, if we, 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 we love good preaching, but we're not growing spiritually from that preaching. Why? Because we don't treasure the word and we don't have the intention of putting that word into practice. We play too fast and loose with the word of God. We're too casual with it. And this proverb says you can't be casual with the word of God. You, you can't be. Notice there is a causal, causal part in verse 2. Notice. Let me read verse 1 with 2. My son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding. How do I know I treasured the word of God? How do I know that I'm receiving the word of God as something to be practiced? Verse 2 is your answer. Make your tear, make your ear attentive attentive to it and incline your heart to understanding. You have to actually do something. There's no blessings falling on you from heaven in the sense that if you don't treasure up God's word in yourself, if you're not making your ear attentive, if you're not being teachable, if you're not inclining yourself to be in a position to hear this word and to put it into practice, then don't expect to be wise and discerning and understanding. It, it just doesn't work. It, it. So, <clears throat> notice verse 3. Not only in those first two verses do we have that highly esteeming the Word of God, but, but in verse 3, we have another key of this discernment and that is what prayer prayer for if you cry for discernment lift your voice for understanding cry to whom to the lord that you would be like solomon was who said, Lord, this work that you have put before me is too great and requires so much wisdom. I am not that person. And the Lord told him, you cry, you ask me for this wisdom and I'll give it to you. And not only did the Lord give him enough wisdom to rule the people, the Bible says that God blessed him immensely and above what even Solomon had asked. Not only did he give him wisdom, but he gave him multi, just, just a, a mass wealth of the world's wealth. Uh, the Queen of Sheba, 
even in the New Testament, talks about that Jesus talks about the Queen of Sheba seeking Solomon out for his wisdom. What were these queens and princes doing as they traveled across the world to hear the wisdom of Solomon? They were bringing him gifts, gold and silver and animals and trinkets and all kinds of wealth from their nations. Thus bringing God's word to fulfillment. And brothers and sisters, James chapter 1 and verse 5 says, If any man lack wisdom, let him ask God for it, who gives to all men liberally, means in abundance, in abundance. A prayer life is needed to be a discerning Christian. We must go to the Lord and recognize that it's not just my academic, intellectual study of the Word of God that's going to benefit me. It's certainly not going to ultimately unlock those blessings, but God wants us to be like His Son, Jesus, who spent hours and hours asking God for understanding. Our Lord spent hours praying to his Father, being an example to us. You think about um, Peter. This is the example that comes to my mind. Jesus, Jesus, you know, Jesus loved Peter. You know, Peter's that, that uh, you know, that, that alpha male. You know, he's that man's man. He's the guy that's putting his foot in his mouth. But he's, he's just, he's that, he's the pit bull on a chain. He's that rough and tough and just a bull in a china shop kind of guy. And, and Jesus says, Peter, this is at the Lord's Supper. He said, Peter, you're going to deny me before the rooster crows. And Peter goes, not me. Not me. I would die for you. I would never deny you. Now, Luke opens up another portion of that exchange. And Luke brings out that Jesus says, you know, Peter, Satan has asked me if he can sift you like wheat. But I prayed for you, and I prayed that your faith would remain and that you'd be restored because you're going to deny me. Now, let's think about it in this, this, this circumstance of prayer. And it's easy for us to look back in that situation because we've all found ourselves circumstances that we should have prayed and we didn't and they were disastrous. But think about what Peter should have done and what would have been a right thing for Peter to do when Jesus told him he was going to deny him. He could have easily said, oh Lord, in my temptation, keep me. Lord, don't, 
Lord, strengthen me. Lord, hold on to me. Lord, I cry out for discernment. Lord, I cry out for wisdom. Help me know and understand this. No, he didn't do any of those things. And in fact, the next scene we have in the Gospels is Peter going out with Jesus to Gethsemane for Jesus to pray. And what does Peter do with some of the uh, other two disciples but fall asleep? Prayer, brothers and sisters, is it's it's vital to a discerning Christian life that storing up of God's word in your heart, the understanding that God is that storehouse of wisdom that that God gives it as a favor to his children and just like any father like any mother any parent desires for their children to communicate and to talk to them and to to you know you know about everything so our heavenly father wants us to talk to him and pray to him and call upon him and for all the things that that he can give to us and that's why Jesus taught us in John 15 he ask me anything and I'll give it to you. Ask anything according to God's will. I'll give it to you. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about asking for those graces that God is so ready to give to his children, to his sons and daughters. I'll give that to you. Answer that prayer. Does a unbelieving father give his his son a snake when he asks for a fish? And how much more does the heavenly father give to his children when they ask for good things, give them abundantly, abundance of good things? So there's prayer. All right, now let's look at verse four and following If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, and then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. This is something that we have a hard time with because we think the the works that flow from faith is not works of grace. It's just not true. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, or verse 10, Paul says that we were saved for good works, that our Father has planned from the beginning. Beloved, our faith is not static. It doesn't remain as it is. Our faith activates us. Our faith in Christ activates us to then begin to work out our salvation, as Paul said, with fear and trembling. This diligence Diligence is the third key that's needed, beloved, if we are going to to be a discerning and wise people. The word means to exert energy. 
to exert yourself. Just as the idea of finding treasure, not just treasure, hidden treasure, takes effort. The same word is used in Exodus chapter 2, verse 12, of Pharaoh trying to kill Moses. That takes effort. We, beloved, are to exercise a diligence, a work, an effort for this. If you, again, notice that that condition there in verse 3, if you cry for discernment, verse 4, if you seek her as silver, again, treasuring her, prizing her, searching for her as hidden treasures, then... Then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. Now, that word then is very important. You need to put this in your notes. The word then carries the idea that at a time, that is once these conditions, once your heart is, is, is bent towards and, and you are this person that is receiving the word of God, treasuring up his commandments, turning in attentive ear, being teachable, crying out for discernment in your prayer, press, uh, patiently waiting for the answer, then at the right time you will discern the fear of the Lord. Meaning, beloved, that these blessings are sovereignly administered and given it's not a god is not a cosmic vending machine right god is not at our beck and call if you will god doesn't just sit in heaven waiting on us to waiting for us to ask something so he can just dispense the goodies He's a heavenly father, and like any good father, he wants to see his children do right, be right. Then he blesses them immensely. That word, that adverb has to deal with, and then at the right time, God gives this discernment. What might be a right time when you need it? When there's a circumstance that needs judging. When there's a person that needs to be, well, judged. Not with a harsh standard or an ungodly standard, but with a biblical one. When it comes time for us to make discernments between this and that, between good and evil, between a good person and a bad person, then God is there to bestow to us these gifts this grace. Notice the verse, and then you will. Notice it's emphatic. You will, not maybe, you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover and find the knowledge of of God, what he wants you to know about himself and about that circumstance, God will grant that to you. He'll bring all of this diligent study. He'll bring all of this to fruit, and then you'll sit there and be the favored child of the Lord and go, now I see. 
and now I understand. The Lord has opened my eyes. Well, let's ask for God's blessing, and then we'll close with Him 133. Let's pray. Now, Father, thank you for this evening. We thank you for these three keys, Lord, the keys of uh, the key of discipline or the key of uh, diligence. Uh, we thank you for the key of prayer and, Lord, the crying out to you and, Lord, a sign of trust. We thank you, O Lord, for uh, teachableness, Lord, that we would treasure up. Uh, these commands and this word, Lord, it would truly be precious to us. We would be like the psalmist in Psalm 119. Oh, how we love thy word. How we treasure up. How we would view your word as, well, more valuable than gold and silver. Lord, we, most of us here are old enough to know that money can come and go. There are times when we have more than we need, and there's times when we may not have as much as we think we need, but your word is a constant treasure. It, it unlocks for us the, the path. It sets before us the path. It, it gives us the understanding of everlasting life, and there's nothing more precious than having a relationship with God in Christ, his blessed son. There's nothing more precious than that. Lord, and forgive us when we stray in our hearts from thinking that. And Lord, we pray that tonight you would work in us, Lord, those convictions. And Lord, where we have been, whatever conviction we're weak on, whatever, wherever we are in this lesson, Lord, strengthen us and Lord, put us on the good path, Lord, that so many have gone before us that have proven good and has proven, Lord, to, to yield and to give those blessings, Lord, that you promise in your, your word. For all who seek you and, Lord, look for you will find you. You tell us, O oh Lord, to be diligent, to knock on the door. And so, Lord, we pray that we would be even more diligent after tonight and more interested in your precious word than before. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.